We are in the fruit of the Spirit, talking about what it produces in our lives. And we've talked about love last week, how it is the supreme virtue among all of the other aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. And it's first on the list for good reason, because love is the one that holds all the others together. It, it encompasses, it, it, it runs through all of the other characteristics. I've thought of love as, a, as the primary aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, almost like, if, like it's the skin of the fruit and the seed in the middle. Like uh, it, it's both of those things. It's the heart of all of the fruit of the Spirit and it's also the like the skin or the or the cover that that holds and binds all of it together. Um, it's the heart and the glue of the fruit of the spirit, and that's love. And we talked about last week. But today we're going to talk about the second virtue on the list. So if you'll look at Galatians chapter five, um, verse twenty-two and twenty-three, we will share it again together. But the fruit of the spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Um, so we're going to look at joy today. We're going to think about joy. I'm going to share some, just some reflections on joy that I hope will help you understand and help you identify the presence of joy in your life. Um, Alistair Begg uh, is um, a pastor that I love to listen to preach and teach. And um, Pastor Begg uh, tells the story of a note that he received after one of his speaking engagements he was at. Someone came up to him and gave him a note. And as he read the note, it was um, from someone that was telling Pastor Begg about a friend that they had. And this friend was in the hospital he was a believer and he was battling brain cancer. And his relationship with Jesus in the hospital battling brain cancer was the, the type of relationship that the nurse that was in charge of caring for this gentleman wrote on his medical chart this note. The patient is inappropriately joyful. Yeah. <laughs> now, um, and so the person writing this note to Pastor Begg said, ever since that happened in my friend's life, it has been my goal um, to live my life in that way, to be inappropriately joyful. <laughs> um, now, what would cause someone to, to say something like that? What would cause somebody to make a comment like that and call joy in the heart of a person battling brain cancer inappropriate? Well, it's because they misunderstand joy, because they don't really know what joy is, because they misunderstand joy the way the world misunderstands joy. And even some Christians misunderstand what joy is, and because too often we make synonyms of Joy and happiness. And we use those as synonyms sometimes, and we believe that those are the same thing. And even though they are very much related, and they are connected to one another, 
um, they are not the same thing. And they are fundamentally different. Uh, joy uh, in Galatians 5 is the word kara, uh, which is used uh, 59 times in the New Testament. Uh, here is one of those. And when we think of joy, we express joy in our life in lots of different ways, don't we? We express joy um, in, for lots of different reasons. Uh, if you were in Lindale and if you were at Pepperell High School on Friday night during the Pepperell R. Murchie varsity boys basketball game, you experienced a great expression of joy. Um, the game was it was a it was a tight back and forth game. Um, I, uh, my boys and I were there watching it, and uh, it, it was down to the to the final seconds of the game. There were seven seconds left in the game. Um, our Murchie was winning by two points. Pepperell had possession of the ball. They inbounded the ball. They passed it to Evan Rhodes, who was in the corner behind the three point line. Evan is the sharpshooter of the team. He, he threw the ball up. It, it went through the basket without even touching the, the rim. It, it almost barely touched the net. It was beautiful. And the entire, and then they had to inbound the ball. The, our Murchie had like two seconds to inbound the ball and do something with it. They lost it, couldn't. And that building erupted in joy. Okay? Like it was, it was awesome. Um, but joy can be expressed in that way. Uh, joy also is what, sometimes joy makes us cry, right? I think of how many times I've even stood on this stage and officiated a wedding. And I don't know about you, but every time the processional and the bride is about to come in, my eyes don't go to the bride or they don't rest on the bride, I'll, those back doors will open and I'll look and, and think, wow, she's beautiful. And then I immediately turn my attention to the groom because I want to see his face. I want to see what happens to him when he sees her. And the number of times that I've seen a groom just weep and cry over the vision of, of his about-to-be wife coming down the aisle. That, that's an expression of joy uh, I remember another story during Tyler's sophomore year of high school. He decided, Tyler is our drummer over here, if you didn't know, but Tyler wanted to run cross country. And Michael Watson was his cross country coach. And, and Tyler um, is like me. He is, he is not built or was not built to be a runner. Uh, and, and he knew that he was not going to be uh, a, a significant uh, member of the team he just he wanted to try and so we encouraged him and he started out uh, the the 5k that, that they would do uh, the first time he ran a 5k it took him 37 minutes which if you know anything about cross country for for the the people at the front of the race that's a, over twice as long as it takes for the people at the front to get there but it took him 37 minutes but I remember we watched him we watched him work we watched him practice and train and get better and better. We went to meet after meet and watched him be in the, in the last half of the people to cross the finish line. And this was the region meet, and it was at Georgia Highlands. And 
the goal, he had set a goal for himself. He said, by the end of the season, I want to be able to, to finish in less than 30 minutes, which, which was a good goal for him. Uh, he, I was proud of him because he didn't measure himself among everybody else, but he set a personal goal and he went after it. Well, we're watching and he comes around the last corner and there's this long stretch that he's got to, he's got to run and I'm looking at the clock and there's like 20 seven minutes on the clock and I see him coming around the corner and I realize he's he's gonna do it but he is about to die <laughs> like he, he he's just like me he's about to die he's coming around the corner and and I just I just want him to make it I just want him to cross the finish line and if and, and people that were there might remember this but I I, I leave from where I'm standing watching and I, and I run down to where he is and I see him just fighting to death. And I literally was so happy that he was going to meet his goal. I ran the last hundred yards of his race with him. I ran and I'm yelling at him and I'm screaming, come on, you're going to do it, you're going to do it, come on. And I'm, I'm just running along with him. That was That was joy. That was joy. So all of those different ways, we express joy in all those different, but, but the expression of joy isn't necessarily distinct for the Christian. The expression of joy, because the expression of joy on the outside looks the same. It's not just a, a Christian dad that would have expressed that kind of joy over his son, at the end of a race, it, it, that, that gym Friday night was not full of all Christians. So, but everybody was expressing joy and it kind of all looked the same. So the expression of joy isn't what's distinct. It's the nature and the origin of joy that is distinct, that makes it different. Here's a, a point for you to write down. Joy most often expresses itself in happiness but Christian joy never comes out of happiness. If that, if that makes sense to you. Joy will express itself in the life of a believer, oftentimes in happiness that, that looks like happiness across the board. But the joy for the Christian never comes from happiness. Sometimes I like, I, I, I like to think of it this way, that happiness is the song and joy is the heart that sings it. Or I, I was watching Mandy play the piano. If, if the music on the page is happiness, the heart of Mandy as she plays it is the joy. Mandy can play the piano, but the piano can't play Mandy, right? It, it's not going to come off the page without her. Like, I, I feel like there's that kind of express, there's a relationship with joy with the believer. And so this morning, I want to just give you some distinctive qualities of joy as, as we see it described in Scripture, as we see it talked about. And then, and then talk about how we can experience it. So there's four things, um, four things that you can write down today about the nature of true joy. Here's the first one. 
Joy is based on spiritual realities, not earthly circumstances. This is a distinctive difference between happiness and joy. Um, I ate Chinese food last night from Happy Walk, and that made me happy. I don't know what it is about Happy Walk Chinese food, but in the past two weeks, I want it all the time. Um, Some of you may hate it. It's okay, but I love it. That made me happy. But what scripture says in Philippians 4.19 when it says, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That brings me joy. See the difference? Um, People, and, and, and this is something that even Christians can forget. People who only talk about the best of God and the best of times don't really understand joy. And we're guilty of that sometimes. We only talk about how good God is when life is good. And if that's the case, if that's the pattern, then we really are misunderstanding what joy is. Because joy expresses the goodness and the greatness and the gratitude toward God at the rock bottom. When everything's been taken away, joy can worship. Joy can express that. The reality of the character of God and his work in us and his work all around us is the basis of our joy. And if you're a believer, maybe you've experienced this. Sometimes the greatest moments of joy can be experienced in our life in the worst of circumstances, right? In the worst of situations when things are are terrible and maybe you can think of a situation like that where you things have been horrible circumstances have fallen apart but for some reason that we know is the presence of the spirit the fruit of the spirit in the midst of circumstances that are falling apart there's something in you that's joyful that you don't have to despair that you don't have to um, to, to fall into depression. In Acts 16, uh, I want us to read and look, and look at that. This is a beautiful example. In Acts 16, Paul and Silas were ministering. They were going to the temple to pray, and there was a young slave girl who was possessed by a demon, and she was being used um, as a slave by uh, greedy and ruthless men who were using her for profit. And when they encountered her, they delivered her. They, they removed, they, they cast out the demon that was in her, causing her to be able to fortune tell and make money for these people. Well, when, when the guys that, were, that owned her found out and, and realized what happened, they became very angry and they attacked Paul and Silas for what they had done. Look at, at Acts chapter 16. Uh, look at verses beginning in verse 22. It says, The crowd joined in the attack against them, and the chief magistrate stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had severely flogged them, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to guard them carefully. 
Receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison and secured their feet in the stocks. Now look immediately at verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were wailing in agony. They were complaining about how horrible their life was. Mm -mm. They were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. We can stop right there and ask the question, what happened between verses 24 and 25? Because the world would look at that and go, something must have changed. Because 22, 23, and 24, that's pretty bad. That's, I mean, you have been stripped of all your clothes, beaten within an inch of your life, thrown and chained in prison, and now all of a sudden you're singing? There's a worship service going on in the prison? What changed? I'll tell you what changed. Nothing changed. Absolutely nothing. Nothing changed for them. None of the circumstances changed. They were going to die. And here they are, praying, singing hymns, worshiping in the midst of those kind of circumstances. That's joy. Joy makes that happen. Let's just be honest. Some of us can't come into this room and worship with joy because we don't like the song. Or the color of the wall isn't the way we like it. Come on. Joy is, is what we see here. It's not connected. Joy isn't connected to anything externally. External circumstances, surroundings, any of those things. It, 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 it doesn't have anything to do with those things. It's not about outward circumstances. It's about spiritual realities. What is true What are the things that are true that I can't see, that I can't touch? So joy doesn't come and go with circumstances. So this will connect us, um, connects us to the second, the second thing uh, that we'll get to in just a minute. Here's number two. Joy abides when happiness escapes. Joy. Joy stays when happiness goes away. Um, John MacArthur said this, joy is the deep down sense of well-being that abides in the heart of a person who knows all is well between himself and the Lord. It's a deep down, MacArthur says, a deep down sense of well-being that abides in the heart of a person who knows Everything is well between them and the Lord. You know why joy abides? Because it's based on the relationship with Jesus and that never changes. It's based on the character of God. It's based on the nature of of who he is and the nature of his relationship with us. The nature of the salvation that he's given us. And that doesn't change. And so when if joy comes from something that doesn't change, joy is always going to stick around. It doesn't come and go. 
Look at John chapter 16. Flip over. I'm going to give you lots of scripture references so you can write them down. We're going to have them on the screen, but you can refer to them later. John 16, beginning in verse 20. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he, again, he's, he's preparing them for what's about to happen because he knows he's about to be crucified. He's about to leave them and, and he's trying to comfort them. In verse 20, he says, truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. Talking about his, his death, his crucifixion. You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to what? Joy, not happiness, that's a different word, joy. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her time has come, but when she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the what? Joy that person has born, has been born into the world. So you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice. And look at this. And no one will take away your joy from you. You see that? He tells them that you're going to go through some difficult things. You're gonna, and not just your circumstances are going to be bad, but emotionally. You're going you're gonna to experience all of the emotions of sadness and sorrow and despair but those things are temporary and joy those things are going to turn into joy because he knew that the he knew that he was going to rise from the grave right he knew he was going to rise from the dead they at that point that weren't thinking about that didn't realize it but again it's based on the promise of what was to come in the future and he knew that and he's, and he's moving them that way. There are plenty of moments when happiness leaves us because something's gone wrong. But joy helps us to see them as just that. They're moments. And I think sometimes even in my mind when I catch myself spiraling in my mind and in my emotions. And you know what it's like for for, for maybe one bad thing to happen, one bad thing to go wrong, and then another thing, and then another thing. And you can almost feel yourself emotionally, just like you're on this big slide and you're just going down and you can't stop yourself because you, you just keep going down and down and down. And, 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 but joy in the heart of a believer will stop you at some point and help you remember that these moments that you're despairing about are exactly that. They're moments. They're short-lived. They're temporary. The, the, the phrase, this too shall pass, is something that, that joy is able to echo. Those moments are placed uh, beside our future hope and our future glory to be able to see and remember what's to come. I can endure moments because there's a promised future. I can, endure, I can endure those moments because I know something better is coming. And Jesus tells them, no one will take away your joy from you. I, I'm convinced that moments when I feel like I lose grasp of my joy, it's not because someone or something takes it away. It's because I, I let go of it. 
because I forget. He says, no one will take away your joy from you. No person or thing has the power to take it from you because it's placed in you through the Holy Spirit. So that leads us to the third thing. I said the word endurance. Joy is the fuel that powers endurance. So what is endurance? Endurance is the ability to keep going. The ability to keep moving, even when it's hard, even when it's, it's, it's difficult. If your endurance doesn't quit, it continues. And joy is like the fuel. Say, so what is it that causes us to be able to endure? I think joy is part of that. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. At the very beginning of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, right? We're talking about the Christian, our, our walk that we're called to. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So Jesus, how do we endure? We keep our eyes on Jesus because Jesus is the model, right? For, for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You say, how was the humanness of Jesus, how was the fully human part of Jesus able to endure what most men would have been destroyed by? How was he physically able to endure such a beating, such a torture, such a crucifixion? How was he emotionally able to hold it together? How through all of those six hours that he was crucified on that day, how was he able to keep his mind about him? The writer of Hebrews says it was joy that he endured all of that because of joy. Well, what was that joy for him? It was, it was you. It was me for the joy that was set before him. The fact that the Father's plan was going to be accomplished. The fact that mankind would be reconciled to the Father through his word. His obedience to God, his relationship with us. That was the joy that fueled Jesus in his humanity to be able to endure the cross. And so we go through difficult times as well. We have to endure things. We have to endure circumstances. And we can look to Jesus as the model, as the source for that endurance is joy. If you flip over to James chapter 1, here's another reference. James chapter 1 starting in verse 2. What does James write? Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever everything goes exactly the way you want it to go. No, he says, consider it a great joy whenever you experience various trials. That word various, he's like, not even just one kind of trial in bad circumstances. All types of trials. Consider it a joy to experience those because, verse 3, you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Endurance. And let endurance have its full effect 
so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Endurance through difficult circumstances is part of the Christian walk. It's part of our life. We cannot become who God wants us to become without trouble. We can't be formed into his image without going through trouble. And it doesn't matter what I go through in my life. I don't think I will ever experience something as horrifying or as painful or agonizing as the cross. So if the same spirit that was in Jesus and the same joy that was in Jesus allowed his humanness to endure that, I'm pretty sure if his spirit lives in me and that joy that was in him lives in me because the same spirit lives in me, I can endure as well. But I have to remember these things. And I can't let the lies and the and, and the emotions make me feel a different way. Joy and testing always go together. You can tell the ones who endure suffering in the spirit versus the ones who endure suffering in the flesh. When we're enduring suffering in the flesh... What do we do? We complain. We gripe. Don't ask somebody who's enduring suffering in the flesh how their day is. Or how you doing? And I've learned. Have you? You know there's certain people. You know there's certain people in your life. You love them, but you're not going to ask them how, how they're doing. Because it's depressing. They may be enduring, but they're not enduring through joy. Joy's not empowering their endurance because they're, they're doing it in their flesh. They're, they're complaining. The, what, the people who are enduring difficult circumstances in the spirit, you know who those people are too. They're the ones that you look at even and you look at what they're going through and you almost question in your own mind, how can they be this way? Many of you know his testimony. You heard him share it and all of those things. But I remember, I always, golly, I, I always, my mind always goes to this when I think about this. When I went to the hospital the day Bonnie Cook died and I walked into the emergency room and I saw Jim Cook sitting on the table. I saw that kind of joy. The man looked at me and smiled. He's in the emergency room having just had a heart attack. And his wife has just died in a burning vehicle. And he looks at me and smiles. And says, she's home. She's free. That's, that's what this is. This is. That's the endurance. That... And see that verse 4? 
He says that we should let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and what? Complete, lacking nothing. And so this comes to the fourth of the four things. Number four on my list, joy is complete in salvation. It is only complete in salvation. How often, look at John chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be what? Complete. Complete means lacking nothing. You realize that if something's complete, there's, there's nothing that you can add to it and there's also nothing that, that's taken away from it. Something that's complete is complete. So how can the joy that was in Jesus be in me? Jesus says, I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Look at this reference, Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. Paul writes and says, I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love. And to verse 19, to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. I love that phrase, the fact that he says we can know something that surpasses knowledge. I mean, that seems contradictory. Like, like, hey, I want you to eat something you can't eat. Can't, I, like, I can't do that. But, but in the economy of God, this is absolutely possible. To know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, human knowledge. To be able to experience and know something that, that the world can't know. So that you may be filled with, look at this, all the fullness of God. That your joy may be complete. When we see the love of God and the work of Christ and we believe in the gospel and we repent of our sins and we turn to Christ alone for our salvation, the spirit moves in and settles in our lives and in our hearts and our minds and we are filled with the Holy Spirit and the joy of Jesus is in us when Jesus is in us. You say, well, how can I, how, how can I have that, that complete joy? Jesus said, I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. The only way your joy is gonna be complete if it comes from Jesus, if it's from salvation, you may have a, a worldly version of joy and understand that the world has its own version and understanding of joy, but it's not this one. It's, it's incomplete. And it will always be incomplete until it comes from Jesus. Until Jesus is present in our lives, whatever version of joy that you have will always be incomplete. 
The joy of the believer never comes out of happiness because happiness is a feeling. And so this is, this is a statement I want us to end with. I want you to write this down. Joy has profoundly more to do with what you know than with how you feel. Because our feelings will convince us something is true that's really not true. I tell my kids that all the time. I tell my wife that sometimes and I tell myself that sometimes. My feelings will trick me. It will convince me that something's true that's really not true. And, and joy is not like that. Joy is not so much, it, it, I don't, what determines my joy is not how I feel. What determines my joy is the reality and the truth of what I know. What I know in Christ, what I know from his word, and what I know from my relationship with him. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8 says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him. So belief in Christ and the gospel, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. The joy of a believer is sometimes so real and so rooted in the heart of your salvation, you don't even know how to express it. Have you ever felt that way? Like it's so real to you, you don't even know how to explain it to somebody. Verse 9, because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So verse 9 tells us that that inexpressible, glorious joy has to be received. And it's received in salvation, in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you want real joy, you have to have Jesus. You have to have Jesus. And that's the question. Have you received the salvation that Jesus has come to bring? Because in that salvation, we can find joy. So the joy of a believer and a follower of Jesus is only inappropriate. Going back to the beginning, joy is only inappropriate to the world that's lost. It's inappropriate for the world because it's based on circumstances. It's a, it's a deeper version of happiness to them. But for the believer, it's, it's not even just appropriate. It's our identity. Joy should be who we are because we are in Christ and Christ is in us. I want to end with this quote from the great Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon said this, believers are not dependent upon circumstances. Their joy comes not from what they have, but from what they are. Not from where they are, but from whose they are. Not from what they enjoy, but from that which was suffered for them by the Lord.